0: Welcome to the Regen Transforming Energy Podcast. Um, my name's Prina and I'm here today with my colleagues JD and Kai to talk about community energy. Um, we're gonna chat about where community has been in the past decade, um, its future ambitions, we talk about burnout, we talk about creativity, we talk about so many things. So I hope you listen on and enjoy the podcast. Let me first go to um, my colleague Kai to introduce himself.
1: Hi, my name's Kai Hoare. I'm also a local energy coordinator at Regen, um, and been working as part of the team for the past three and a half years um, to support community and local energy um, from across the UK. And we are I'm delighted today that we're joined today by someone who has been instrumental over the past ten years in supporting this sector. Um, Josie.
2: Hi, I'm Jodie Giles. And for one more week only, I'm the head of community and local energy at Regen. As Kai said, I've been doing that job for nearly a decade. And um, yeah, today we're in my pottery studio on Dartmoor. So um, yeah, I've got one more week in this job and really looking forward to this conversation this morning
0: exciting so let's just get straight in and see um talk about kind of the past first i think we should start with what's happened in the community energy sector so far and actually what i think we should start with is what is community energy because on the regen podcast so far we haven't actually chatted about it so um kai do you want to give us a little background on um, what community energy
1: actually is yeah, so I think community energy is is really wide ranging and refers to really any community led initiative that involves um, owning or part owning some renewable generation scheme. So that could be solar panels on roofs. It could be a solar farm. It could be it could be a wind farm, or it's um, a community project involving energy efficiency. So making our homes and buildings more energy efficient. Um, It also refers to supporting people in fuel poverty, so what a lot of community energy projects do is use the the income that they they generate through their their generation projects to support people in their local area who are experiencing fuel poverty um, and do what they can to help them with energy bills and with heat in their homes. Um, so that's that's really what community energy is about, and it's it's about sort of localizing energy. So using the the money that is is made from renewables projects and using that to support local people and community projects.
0: Going on from that, Jodie, what do you think has inspired you the most about um, this sector in the past kind of ten years?
2: Definitely the people. The people are incredible, and. They do so much amazing work against all odds, really. Um, It's a really, really difficult thing to do a community energy project and the people who do it quite often working very long hours, quite often unpaid. um, And despite the kind of roller coaster of government policy that we've had over the last decade and the lack of support for renewable energy... um, it's just amazing that any of these projects have happened at all, and they happen because of the sheer determination and resilience of the people who make them happen. Uh, and when you get out on site and see their projects, and see the solar panels, and see the wind turbines, and see these people who actually own them themselves, and they're using those profits to help people in fuel poverty, help people address real difficult social issues in, in our society, that's hugely, hugely inspiring. Um, I think the other thing is that it's a kind of direct way of addressing climate change in your local area. And when you look at the motivations behind why these people are doing what they're doing, it's nearly always because they want to do something practical about climate change on their own doorstep and not just for themselves. So they're trying to engage everyone in their communities in doing something practical about climate change. And that's very, very closely linked usually to the social justice angle as well hugely inspiring
1: yeah and is that what attracted you to to this sort of sector in the first place and to want to work in community energy you know if I can take you back to when you walked through the door at Regen back in 2013 what sort of you know what sort of sector did you find and is that were those the sorts of things that you envisaged that you would find
2: yeah um 2013 it's a (laughs) long really really long time ago making me feel very old um but yeah I think uh I was working on the localism agenda before that. I had a job at the Eden Project and I was working on the rollout of neighbourhood planning. And I was looking at um, what communities' ambitions were across the country for regenerating their own communities and and creating more resilient communities. And the problem was that they were coming up with these brilliant plans that they had no way to pay for all of the great stuff they wanted to do locally. And at that time, there were a handful of communities who were developing energy projects and we had the feed-in tariff at that point which was underpinning the financial model for community energy and it was really obvious to me that if you could own your own asset um, in energy that you could generate enough of a return to deliver some of those socially ambitious projects that can be really game-changing in a community and can enable a community to be much more resilient, much stronger. Um, You know, the people who were running these projects had developed their own capacity, they'd created their own jobs, they had paid for um, retrofit of schools and paid for really interesting projects that were about helping people locally. So that could have been crisis relief funds for people in fuel poverty, for example. And it was very clear to me that the government weren't going to sort out those kind of social issues for us. It was down to us to find a way of creating a revolving local economy that was more within our own control and so when i got the job at regen it, you know it really it is still my dream job it was my dream job and i've really loved doing it and it's for all of those reasons you know it's so inspiring seeing people taking control of their own energy systems and using that for social good um and it wasn't yeah it was a really small sector at that time as well it was you know, there were 10 people on the Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. when I joined Regen. Mm-hmm. 10 groups. Mm-hmm. And you guys have just been involved in doing the state of the sector report with Community Energy England and Wales and Scotland. And you can see from that the scale of change within the sector, the level of ambition. And yeah, it's a completely transformed sector. And I don't mm-hmm. think at the time I had a an idea of where necessarily it was going but I knew that by owning those assets and it's still true today by owning those assets and being ambitious, you can create a local economy that allows you and enables you to do the things you want to do to create jobs to
0: create a happier, healthier society mm. It's really fascinating to kind of understand where it's come from because I think for me who's only been really involved in the sector for one year, it seems quite established now but obviously it wasn't always that case and it has been a turbulent journey hasn't it to get to this point um but what do you think have been the most important milestones for the sector in the past few years i mean there's been a
2: huge amount of challenges there's been some real difficulties obviously the ending of the feed-in tariff was a really big hit um not just for community energy but for renewables in general um There's been some real wins as well, some really big projects getting off the ground. Um, And it's those big projects, those really big ambitious projects where organisations have professionalised enough to pay themselves a salary and not just do this on a voluntary basis. That has been a real kind of game changer for the sector. And if you look at all those really successful projects, they have treated it like a business. They've professionalised enough. They're still putting in a lot of voluntary hours and they're still motivated by that passion for wanting to do something about climate change and wanting to address fuel poverty and and energy efficiency. But yeah, they're just really taking it seriously enough to value their time enough to pay themselves. And that then leads to much more ambition, I think. So those organisations who've created really big projects enough to sustain their own organization from a financial perspective, are then going on to do even bigger and more ambitious and better projects. And so it's kind of a cascade effect really then. And that's really exciting to see. Um, so yeah, milestones, it's a tricky one. <laughs> um,
1: but I think yeah. I think it's really interesting because we often get asked, you know, what makes a successful community energy project or mm. how do you make it work? And I think one thing we we always come back to is that idea of avoiding burnout, mm-hmm. um, and and like you said, that the 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 projects and the the organisations that are able to to sustain are the ones that are able to to sort of take on paid staff to to really treat it like like a job and to keep going um, through having sort of the proper funding in place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's no accident that we're here on Dartmoor today. In my mega shed next door to my pottery, we're going to go out for a walk later. You know. This is really difficult work. It's really difficult. Kind of, it has felt a bit like banging my head against a brick wall for mm. the last decade in terms of the lack of ambition with government policy and the difficulties we've had around regulation. And that's really quite frustrating. And if you carry on doing that all the time and you're not looking after your own mental health or thinking about who's going to take this forward when I go. Um, that's a big problem for the sector. And we need to think about that. We need to be much more diverse. You know, we need to be handing things on to the next generation. That's, I'm looking at YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's really, really important to to kind of look after ourselves, because if we're not resilient in ourselves, we can't then go on and deliver good stuff. Mm. And yeah, I've definitely felt that kind of close to burnout myself and Mm -hmm. that's why we're here as i say in my pottery studio
0: (laughs) i actually think that's like a really important point to bring up because for a lot of people in the community energy sector it's not just a job a lot of people are doing it for the passion and you don't just clock off at 5 p.m and that's it you kind of take it into a lot of aspects of your life um and i think what you just said i think i just want to reiterate i think we do need to talk about it more and make sure that we're in this for the long run because this climate change is not a short-term issue. It's going to be with us for a really long time and we need to make sure that we're all able to carry on for a really long time as well. We're trying to address it very practically but that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy doing it at the same time. Just because it is this very dark and quite scary thing, in the moment we can enjoy doing what we're doing to make the world a better place.
1: Yeah and I think we and like all community energy groups should you know recognize the the good work that they they're doing and allow themselves to enjoy that work um, because it is it is really important and it's it's by enjoying it that they can make sure they don't get burnt out and encourage more people to you know to to join them in doing that work
2: So should we talk about some practical ways that people can be creative and do creative engagements like what do you guys think that communities should be doing to celebrate more and have fun and show people that this is a exciting and vibrant sector and that we we can be creative and come up with fun and exciting ways of talking about what we're doing?
1: I think we've seen some really interesting art installations, a cop in particular. I know there's a few in Glasgow that art and energy and and others um, have been doing. Um, which is sort of really sort of um, you know mass participation public art um, exhibitions where they've got, for example, people's um, messages about climate change. Um, I think that's displayed as um, some moths around a flame. Um, so I think it's, it's things like that 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 everyone in a in a you know in any sort of community can participate in, and then can be displayed in a public place and can look you know really quite cool. <laughs> It's not been an easy ride for, for ten years for the sector, definitely. Um what do you think are some of the biggest um I guess missed opportunities that that the sector or the community energy organizations have have, have made um in your time?
2: Speed and scale.
1: Mm.
2: You know, we talk about this all the time. And I can remember, you know, probably it was probably about twenty fifteen when I was working on a project in Devon with the amazing community energy groups that um that are here. And they all had their own individual little projects. We've got more community energy organisations in Devon than anywhere else in in England, and we're really proud of that. You know, that comes from a sustained effort and support for those groups and, and supporting them to learn together and, and network together. Um, but we did some work with Jake at Communities for Renewables, who's probably one of the best economic brains to apply to community energy anywhere in the country, Um, he worked out that if those groups collaborated and did some really big ambitious projects together, that they could not only achieve a better return for the community benefit fund, so they'd have more money to spend in their local communities, um, but they would have an economy of scale that would mean that they could pay themselves and not be working on these small projects that require almost as much effort as the big projects. Um, So kind of paying themselves to avoid that burnout that we've been talking about. And at the time, I can remember those groups going, no, 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 it's really important to us that this is small, it's local. Um, And now what's happened is that those groups have formed an organisation. They've been through that pain barrier of doing small renewable energy projects, which are really important from a kind of... um, is it an
0: acceptance point of view for the local community? Yeah, so, it's kind of making a statement. Saying yeah, it's, that it's
1: really sort of visually quite quite effective, isn't it? And, yeah. um It, like, influences the way people think about the energy transition. Exactly. Which is really important.
2: Yeah, yeah. super important. And it provides all those opportunities for engagement. It's, you know, it's a, it's not... To, I'm not trying to undermine those projects because they have been a significant and important part of the sector's journey. Um, But now we've got to a stage where those groups have basically set up a a sort of umbrella organisation, Devon Energy Collective, and that organisation is looking at substantial projects. We're talking Mm -hmm. kind of 70 megawatt wind farm and 100 megawatt pipeline of solar farms. So they're thinking about this in the same way that a commercial entity would think about renewables. Mm -hmm. They're looking at what commercial entities are doing and thinking, okay, how can we develop more generation that we own collectively that pays for us to carry on working in this sector and treating it really in that kind of professionalised way that we've been talking about and so I think that scale is fundamental and the speed element has been a missed opportunity because it's really slow doing community energy it's really difficult doing things collectively and by committee and I'm not sure how you can avoid that because good engagement takes time and community Mm -hmm. projects if they're genuine community projects really do have to engage widely locally to make a difference and to have the bedrock of support you need to not get the resistance Mm -hmm. that you will see to some really big developments at a local level
1: yeah and i think that's where we've seen missteps from commercial developers who've been sort of going in with these you know massive sort of you know 20 plus megawatt solar farms and they're sort of um I guess they're sort of taken for granted that the the, the climate emergency will mean that pe- you know people will be supportive of those projects and in the right circumstances they definitely would be but when people feel like these developments are being imposed upon them um then I think it becomes a lot more difficult for them for them to understand um but yeah I think that the sort of scale point is is really important and I guess there's what some people might see as a contradiction in there you know i i even talked at the beginning about community energy being about localizing energy which some people would see as quite small scale um but i guess sort of squaring that circle is the idea that you know the, the climate emergency that we're facing requires large scale projects and and quickly so yeah for me it's about sort of having that that local benefit but if the groups can sort of collaborate with each other they can they can scale up while retaining their sort of more local routes and and making sure those benefits come back to the community Definitely. Um, so yeah that's that's what I would see as the most important.
0: Do you think as a whole the sector is being ambitious enough or do you think we need more similar sort of collectives across the country to make sure that we can get the scale that we need?
2: No we're not being ambitious enough and Yes, we need we need to be more ambitious. What else can I say? I mean, we've been out, you know, Kai's been with me as we traveled around the country pre-COVID times. You know, I've chaired over chaired and facilitated over 50 conversations with community energy organizations and distribution network operators and businesses. And policymakers and regulators across across that last decade and yeah the, the scale of ambition knowing what i know now isn't quite as much as i would like to see and i think communities have real potential to make really meaningful impacts on their own society and on climate targets and unless we're being really bold and ambitious in that yeah i think i think that is a missed opportunity
1: we've discussed in the past that for a lot of groups the amount of work and in some ways the amount of pain involved in doing you know a 50 kilowatt rooftop solar scheme is that for that amount of work you might as well do it a 10 plus megawatt um solar farm yeah because it's you know if you're putting in the work at least yeah 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 exactly you you may as well get the most benefits that you can
2: yeah i mean the smallest projects we're seeing coming forward from commercial developers now is is 10 megawatts Mm. and that's only where you've got a very cheap grid connection and most of them are getting closer towards 50 even 100 Mm. megawatts in some cases so these are massive massive projects and commercial developers aren't doing this for the reasons that community energy and local energy organizations are doing this they're not motivated by wanting to address climate change in well, some of them might be, but their primary motivation is making some money. Mm-hmm. They're an economic entity and there's a reason they're going for those massive, massive projects. And usually it's a case of getting that grid connection mm-hmm. sorted. And that's one of the reasons why speed was was a missed opportunity, because commercial developers came in and, and took up a lot of the grid capacity that we have and now there isn't a lot left for communities and we've got a huge challenge around that and I guess that's one of the reasons we've spent such a long time and a lot of effort working to facilitate conversations between distribution network operators and communities is to help them unpick that and work out how we can find solutions for them to be able to connect into the network because that capacity has gone in most cases and, and we've all paid for that you know that is a a lot of that connection cost is socialised, which means a proportion of it is paid for from our bills. So that's great for for renewables that, you know, those projects are connected in. But there's a a thing going on now where um, gas peaking plants are connecting Mm -hmm. in. So fossil fuel generators connecting into the network and using up what's left of that critical capacity that we pay for. Um, And no one really seems to be talking about that very much. We've only seen a few community energy groups appealing those planning applications and getting those decisions overturned or or not passed and that's you know huge win for the sector it's really impressive communities doing that to to guard to safeguard Mm -hmm. that grid capacity which is a fundamental part of any generation project to enable more low carbon generation to connect
1: yeah, and I think that's that's a drum that sort of Regen as a whole has been banging for a few years to, to off-gem our energy regulator, that we need the net zero infrastructure. And we to, in order to be able to get that affordably, we have to prioritise low-carbon generation connections. Um, so, that, yeah, I think that's, that's really important and something that Regen does continue to push.
0: I think also just to summarise what you were saying, if you're a new entrant to the community energy sector as well, as people who've been there for years I think that the message is don't be scared go for those bigger projects and learn on the job as well as obviously peer learning is so vital as well because um, I can imagine me as coming in as someone new I can imagine oh I'll do a smaller one first see how it goes and then do a bigger one but that's just not how it's working in our current climate and we it's just not possible at the moment
2: yeah mm-hmm.
0: so scale up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see
2: how that would be a totally logical yeah. way to think about it, right? Start it, it small, makes sense. Yeah. do a small project. Yeah. But but what we've seen is that groups do that and they burn themselves out. Mm-hmm. And not only do they burn themselves out, the the small scale nature of what they're doing means that it isn't financially sustainable and they haven't got enough of a return to mm-hmm. keep themselves running. So it is that economy of scale issue and it's the burnout thing. Um and it's also that mean, you know, doing something really, really meaningful about climate change. If you want to make an impact on your carbon reduction targets for your community, um, it's got to be big and, yeah, be ambitious.
1: Yeah. And I think there's there's absolutely loads of sort of expertise and, ex- and experience that already exists within the sector. So for new entrants, you know, there's there's a lot of people that they can talk to 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 sort of get some of that knowledge so they don't have to be, too apprehensive about taking on a big project you know there's there's regen there's you know communities for renewables there's community energy england scotland and wales and there's you know there's a lot of a lot of organizations that can you know lend that support and give that advice to people um, so that they don't sort of make some mistakes that have already been made um i think that's what we've also talked about a lot before is is you know helping new entrants to this space you know new climate action or groups um, locally, not sort of repeat mistakes that have already been made.
2: Yeah. And it's really exciting now, isn't yeah. it? You were seeing all those new entrants come forward. We've had all of the early adopter groups come in and do their projects. And that's like the first wave of community energy groups. They're kind of growing up. They're like teenagers, young adults <laughs> now. And now we've got all of these new, new groups coming yeah. forward, new entrants who have been motivated and inspired by all of the kind of climate action groups that we've yeah. seen happening across the country. And they're coming forward and thinking about what they can do tangibly as a collective at a local level that is meaningful, Mm -hmm. that's going to make a dent in those carbon reduction targets. And you're right, there's loads of people who can help. And I guess one of the milestones as well is that we've got this now into the business plans of the distribution network operators. So community energy isn't just a kind of side thing to them anymore. It's recognised within their business plans. And that's a big step for this sector because it means that those organisations who are critical to the success or failure of, of projects are taking this stakeholder group really seriously and offering real tangible support to them. So if you're thinking about doing a new project, The number one thing you need to think about if it's a generation project is can i get a grid connection and how much is that going to cost me and is there capacity and there's loads and loads of support available to do that you know you've got programs running over the next three years with northern power grid and western power distribution and we know that others like electricity northwest are doing really good programs that support communities to do these kinds of projects and the people in those organizations really want to help and they want to see these projects come forward um so there is lots of support available and that's that's a really great thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah, lots of support and in in some cases, you know, funding that people can apply for to sort of yeah, get those projects moving. Um, and I think what, yeah, what we're also seeing now is that it's, it's not even just generation. It's, it's demand projects. So, you know, low carbon transport projects such as, such as installing EV charge points or sort of heat projects. So, you know, heat pumps is what was talked about a lot in the net zero strategy. So I think they'll become even more important for community energy projects over the next few years, um, which I think is really exciting.
2: What, what do you see the future of community energy is now? Like, what what advice would you give to a new group coming in now?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's what we've already said, really, you know, don't be afraid to scale up. Sort of go and look for that expertise that exists both sort of locally, regionally and, and across the country as well. Sort of, you know, speak to people that have done this before. Um, one area that i think is, is really important is is heat you know we've we've seen from the the heat and building strategy and the net zero strategy you know it's it's good that they're out there there are aspects where we'd have liked them to have been stronger more support for communities more funding for energy efficiency for example um but i think there's sort of a real you know i think people are starting to realize you know everyone that there's a, there's a real need to decarbonize our, our our, our heat and make our homes more energy efficient and that is something that is like by its very nature really local really personal to people mm-hmm. and that's where there's a big role for i think community energy organizations to give advice and to, to help sort of guide projects that are to do with sort of energy efficiency retrofit um heat pumps and um and yeah heat systems
2: yeah, I'd completely agree with that. I mean, we've talked a lot about generation today and that has been the kind of bedrock of community energy. Most community energy organisations have been thinking about electricity generation, kind of led by the feed and tariff and that economic model that existed. But now I think you're right. I think it will be much more about energy efficiency, retrofit, addressing fuel poverty, helping people who are able to pay as well, mm-hmm. retrofit their homes. And that depends on on good work mm-hmm. it depends on quality um installations and it also depends on on trust mm-hmm. and that's the big unique selling point about community energy is that this isn't some company coming in motivated by wanting to make a quick buck this is people your friends and neighbors people <laughs> who live locally to you trying to help you do something that isn't all about the profit it's about wanting to do something about climate change and mm-hmm. Yeah, supporting our our society. Yeah, I mean, there's
1: there's sort of wins all over. Aren't there, really, it's mm. it's about climate change, and then it's also about sort of supporting people in fuel poverty, and by doing sort of retrofits and energy efficiency projects, it's sort of yeah, it's it's a win-win really. Um, so it, it, I, I think it fits, you know, really neatly into the whole ethos of. Of community energy and it's it's sort of it's also about that long-term approach as well if people are making these big changes to their homes mm-hmm. they want an organization that are sort of you know that they can turn to in over the long term and um and not sort of um yeah the cowboys <laughs> <them a> <laughs> term. They, you know whose advice they can't really trust and and if you know they don't know whether they'll be about in another in another six months yeah
2: um, and there are lots of, you know, it's not just cowboys, is it? There are lots of really great companies out there doing mm-hmm. really great work. But I think the models in community energy that we've seen that have been so inspiring, are things like um, Carbon Co-op mm-hmm. and Brighton and Hove Energy Services Company, mm-hmm. you know, these organisations are—they've been there for years. Mm-hmm. They've been supporting people not just to install energy generation measures, but they've been doing deep, whole house retrofit projects, for example. And working with local trusted installers who are really doing really good quality Mm -hmm. work and who aren't just going to go bust and the guarantees are going to be obsolete. Mm -hmm. And there is there's a huge amount that we can learn from that kind of work in terms of the next stage of addressing climate change, which is the really difficult work of getting into people's homes Mm -hmm. and getting into people's homes requires us to trust those organisations. They need to be there for the long term and they need to have done that good long term engagement that community energy groups, some community energy groups are really well known for.
1: You spoke earlier, Josie, about the, you know being ten names on the spreadsheet when you started back in 2013. <laughs> um, not to put you on the spot, Prina, how how many organisations uh, did we did we sort of tally up in this year's state of the sector report?
0: Um, I believe it was 424. Um, so it's a huge increase, mm. um, absolutely huge. And it's not even about the number, I think, of organisations necessarily, um, but also the scale and amount of work that they're doing must have increased hugely as well and has increased even in the state of the sector data for the past three, four years, you can see it's increased. And that's in an incredibly challenging environment in terms of regulation and government policy. So, yeah, very impressive stuff.
1: yeah I mean, and um, we you know we've we've spoken about people taking action on areas that the government won't step in on. um I think we've seen that in particular over the past eighteen months and the benefit of that sort of locally and community owned key infrastructure and in terms of how these community energy organizations have been able to support people. Through the pandemic, we saw that sort of straight away. You know, last last March, when people were able to sort of mobilise funds from generation projects to you know to set up local support, we've really seen the benefit of that. Um, particularly over the past eighteen months,
0: it was over two hundred thousand pounds that was redistributed even before the government was able to, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of shows the resilience that and that goes back to your original point and what the original point of community energy is to build resilient communities and we're going to need that more and more as we get in to the depths of the climate crisis and so community energy organisations are going to become and already are absolute bedrocks in communities to make sure that they're resilient and we're able to cope with whatever comes our way.
2: What was that money used for can you remember?
0: So some of it was driving people to hospital appointments, food banks, mm some EV charging for like key workers it was the range was what got me Mm. because it was whatever the community needed Mm. and if you're in the community you're best placed to understand what your community needs um and therefore it was a range (laughs) it was a huge range
2: and it's so impressive isn't it to see that kind of direct tangible action happening at local level being spent on things that really do genuinely improve people's lives you know that's a kind of quality of life thing isn't it if you can't afford to eat and you go to your food bank and there's plenty of food there because it's been paid for by some renewable energy generation it's a pretty nice story to tell and i think we can go a lot further than that if we scale up these projects and and have more control over that financial model
1: yeah, it's about helping to create sort of circular economies and, and keeping that money in the local area. So it's, you know, it's, it's not just going to some investors' back pocket. It's staying in the community and creating that value locally. Yeah.
0: I think this might lead on nicely to something that I've heard you talk about before, Jody, and that's the recording, the social benefit that community mm. energy brings. Because I think within the sector... Um, I've spoken to quite a few people and everyone knows, everyone inherently knows that the community energy sector is great, (laughs) but (laughs) to um, outwardly show that in numbers, show that in stories, how can we go about doing that so that we can generate more support, um, both financially and policy-wise?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you did a project on this when you started your internship at Regen and... I asked you to do that because it's such a difficult area to prove. Um, You know, these are small organisations, lots of voluntary hours going into making them work um, and to then start recording your social return on investment on top of all the kind of work that you're doing to keep the organisation afloat is a big, big ask. Um, But there are some really basic things that I think community energy organisations can do to track their engagement at the very at the most basic level like how many interactions how many people in your newsletter mail out list how many people are you reaching out to and connecting with on a daily basis as an organization and then if you are doing energy efficiency and fuel poverty programs and visiting people's homes then there's lots that you can do to track the impacts of that and Plymouth Energy Community did this all on an Excel spreadsheet initially where they were able to prove that doing these visits actually made people happier Um, And lots of the people that they were coming into contact with had physical and mental health problems. And so they were able to link it back to health impacts, which gives them more um, ability to do projects with the NHS in partnership. Um, So, yeah, I think there's lots more we can do that. Academics could be quite helpful here, couldn't they? I mean, there's loads of young students looking at this area and... You know, I've had many of them contact me over the years to want to talk to me about community energy. And actually, you know, if you're a young person out there and you're interested in this and you think it's, you know, you want to study it a bit, why don't you go and volunteer with a community energy organization and offer to help them track their social impact and extract some of the stories as well that make those numbers meaningful. And numbers are, you know, they are critical, like you say, for policymakers and regulators. To make the case and that's what they're always asking for is that evidence
1: i think that's a really important point that if there are like students out there that want to look into this or or other young people that helping people to to record their impact is something that they that will make a big difference and then will help policymakers deciding how to sort of approach community energy it'll help prove that impact and help make that decision to support the sector <music>
0: Thank you very much for listening to our podcast, um, and subscribe, <laughs> and for subscribe
1: to the podcast and sign up to the Regen Community Energy Newsletter.
0: Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent.
1: <laughs> um-